We're in, we're a little out of order. Last week we went to Mark 12 because I wanted to make sure we did Palm Sunday passage on Palm Sunday, but it puts us a little out of order. I will ask you to remember, and I know many of you were gone, but that immediately after this Mark 11 that we're, we're dealing with, Jesus gives this parable of the tenants when he says basically the, the, the owner of the vineyard kept sending back people to collect his share of the fruit and they kept killing him and beating him up and killing him and beating up. And then, you know, Jesus basically says, then he sent his son and you killed him. So he's predicting what's going to happen to him. And as that time goes on, he, as that passage goes on at the end that when we hear about the greatest commandment, some guy comes up to Jesus and says, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And, and Jesus says the Shema, which is love the Lord, your God with all your heart, strength, soul, my Shema Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, had the Lord is one, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and then love the Lord your God with everything you have, love your neighbors, you love yourself. But when he answered that question, he left out two things. He left out the Torah, which is, just think Old Testament, the, the law and, and how God's instruction to his people, and temple sacrificial worship. See, the, the rulers, always, they, you know, the three most important things to the Jewish people were sacrificial worship, the Torah, and then love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So that comes after this, but this passage speaks right into it. And I want to give you a little heads up on, on this passage. If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're into literature and you read this, this is that point when there's supposed to be this climax. You know, this, it's, it's, it's building, it's building, it's building. And this triumphal entry as portrayed by Mark is kind of anticlimactic. So anyone fan of Kevin Costner? Wow, he just went from biblical reference to Kevin Costner. Um, okay, I saw a movie, and it, Kevin Costner plays one role. We know that, right? I mean, The Postman and Waterworld, same movie, one on land, one not. Okay, just like Dances with Wolves is Avatar, same movie. Just not with all the blue color. But he had this movie, he was in this movie about um, Elliot Ness, and Al Capone, when I was in college, it was uh, called The Untouchables. I just want to show you what I mean by this anticlimactic thing. Um, we're at this movie, me and my friend Gary McBee, he ended up being the best man at my wedding. This is back when I was in college. We drove into Studio 28 in a Baja Beach bug. No heater. So my job was to wipe the windshield to get the, you know, so he could see to drive. Um, so we go to this movie, we pay that, you know, back then it was like $4.50 to go to a movie. We got popcorn, we got pop, we got the whole deal. We're watching this movie and there's this point in the movie, uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's not the, the major climactic point of the movie, but it's a big one. There's a shootout and I believe it's Union Station downtown Chicago and there's these big, stair, this big stairs and everything and there's a shootout going on and Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness is trying to protect the innocent and this woman has a baby in a carriage and it's kind of an old timey carriage with the springs and everything on it and she's pushing and she either gets knocked, she doesn't get shot. I don't remember that, um, but she falls down and the baby starts, the carriage starts rolling toward the stairs. Slow-mo, Elliot Ness is coming with his gun, he's shoot, boom, 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 and he's going to die for this baby carriage. And when we're watching this movie, no kidding, I, on, on, on my mother's honor, the movie melted. We're right there. It's, ooh, it's, now we know they're not going to hurt a baby in a Hollywood movie, right? But you just, you're all wound up, your adrenaline's kind of going, you're going, is the bad guy going to get it right now? Is the movie almost over? And they gave us a brain check. You can come back another time. <laughs> That's kind of what the triumphal entry is in Mark. There's some great stuff that happens. It's all building up and you'll see it. It goes like this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. 
And just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them that the Lord needs it, and he will, return, he will, he will send it back here shortly. And they went, and they found the colt inside the, uh, outside in the street, tied at a door. I'm glad it wasn't inside somewhere. You know, that'd be a little weird. Um, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let him go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. I'll pause it there because we want to look, we got to look at this, the picture for a second. This is contrary to Mark's portrayal of Jesus throughout all of Mark's gospel up to this point. Remember, the, it's called the messianic secret. We've talked about that bits and pieces over the course of this series. But Jesus is kind of, while nothing gets in his way, while he gets right at it, and he, he calls out demons and he tells disease to go away. I mean, he, he's, he's brave, he's tough, and nothing's going to take him down unless he lets it. He takes on the Pharisees, he takes on the teachers of the law, he, he, he even calls them brood of vipers. But... Whenever something miraculous takes place, he's telling his disciples and other people, just shh, just let me do my thing. The miracles will happen, the word will go out, and people will know who God is by what I do and what they see. I don't want fame, but here, they let him bring him a colt, they put a cloaks on him, and he's going, Mount of Olives, he kind of come down, I've been there, he kind of come down and then up, up to, up to the Temple Mount. So there's a, a, a mound and a mound, and he, you come down and then up. And, and he lets these people lay down their cloaks and cut branches and put Think about it for a minute. It, it's kind of like when a dignitary from our country goes to another or a dignitary from another country comes here. Often, it, not always, but often on the tarmac, you, they put out a big red carpet. It's a way of showing esteem. It, back, in the, back in the old spaghetti westerns, those of you who are old enough to, to remember those old westerns with Clint Eastwood, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and outlaw Josie Wales, that kind of thing. Sometimes you'd see a man show honor to a woman when she's walking down the boardwalk in the town, but the rain's coming down, and there'd be a puddle, and it's all goopy and nasty, and he'd take off his vest or his, or his coat, and he'd lay it, on the, lay it on the ground so that the woman wouldn't have to get wet and muddy. Just a way of, of showing honor. So they, they're, the, the palms are just what's available. And they lay them down and they're crying out, God save us and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, we can't wait until our, our father David's kingdom comes. Hosanna in the highest. It's a political statement. Many of these people are saying to Rome, the occupying force, this is our chance. This is our time. Everything's going to change right now. And Jesus lets them do it. Kind of strange, if you look at the rest of Mark, if you really study the character of Jesus in Mark, this is an unusual thing, but he's fulfilling scripture. And there's more going on here than we always anticipate. So he comes, just for a moment, think about it. Think about being so excited about someone that you're willing to take off your clothes and lay them on the ground so that he doesn't have to get his feet dirty. To, to honor someone so highly, that to, think, to treat them as if they're royalty, 
They believe it. Now, it's curious to me that this is Sunday, and then by the next Friday, the same people that were saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of, our, of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Crucify him. In five days. My friend of mine, Bert Bolt, has a message that I, it just was phenomenal, but he, it was entitled, A Lot Can Happen Between Two Sundays. And Jen, Jen just stood up here a little while ago and she said, you know, it's a busy week for Jesus. It was indeed. He knows what's happening. He knows what he's preparing for. So this big buildup, think about that, the Untouchables movie, this big buildup. And here right at that moment, it's, it's something's going to happen. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he, he went out to Bethany and with the 12. Took a nap. This big buildup. Goes into the temple. Something's going to happen. He goes home. He goes back. It's nighttime. They go to sleep. The next morning, though, I'm going to tell you something about the next morning. The passage, when I first started, uh, when I put this stuff together on Tuesday, you know, what's going to be on the screen, that kind of thing. I left out some passages because Mark uses this literary technique called inclusio. Um, it's basically sandwiching part of a story, another whole story, and the other part of the, of the first story. So that the first story shows you what this middle story meant. But I thought... It's going to take too long to explain that. I only have 25 minutes, da 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 But then the more I prayed, the more I studied, the more I realized you can't understand the, the temple talk without knowing what Mark is communicating through Jesus with the cursing of the fig tree. So there's going to be some passages or some verses that I'm going to read that aren't on the screen. So just listen. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Not something you usually think about with Jesus, is it? I mean, he was as human as they came, but you think he got hangry? <laughs> Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't seasoned for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it into a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed. And by the way, the word amazed here has a sense of stupefied. It's not, can you believe he did that? It's, what? Let's, let me, let's talk about that for a second. Jesus, here's the picture. Now, first of all, seems kind of mean to this tree. If Jesus says it, curse, you know, he's going to curse this tree and it actually withers and dies, what did that tree ever do? Right? But it's a symbol. And then he comes into the temple and we have this picture of Jesus typically, or at least I, I always have, as um, Caucasian, very thin, a little gaunt, blue eyes, British accent. <laughs> kind of wimpy. Nothing against the Brits. But I think here Jesus is more like Scottish Jesus. Yeah! And he's not a wimpy man. Just so you know, when you look at him, um, uh, Brian Rotman, uh, he's our bass player this morning. He's a mason. 
Jesus was mostly, he was a house builder, and we call that carpenter, but most of the houses were built out of stone. He's probably a, a guy that as he was growing up until he's about 30 years old, he's, he's doing the work that his dad didn't want to do. Go give me the rocks. Go give me the rocks. Go give me the stones. Cut that stone. Chop that one up. Do this. Do that. And I don't, and Brian's going, you got none of this right. He's a big dude. He walked everywhere he went. He had calloused hands. He wasn't very attractive, scripture tells us. And he walks in to the temple and you're expecting him to go, blessed are the cheesemakers. Stands like this a lot. But he doesn't. He gets mad. We don't picture Jesus as angry Jesus. And I don't think he's hangry. I think that he sees something that isn't right and he wants to fix it. He wants to change it. But the typical perspective we have, at least most of us do, if you're so familiar with the story, we call this the clearing of, or sometimes we mistake the word and say cleansing of the temple. But Jesus isn't cleansing the temple. He's not making right what's wrong. He's not, he's not resetting the temple sacrificial worship system. He's calling an end to it. Think about it. It's just a couple words I want you to focus on. And you've made it a den of robbers. If you're a robber, what do you do in your den? Do you steal when you're in your den? Or is that your hideout where you feel safe? Again, Spaghetti Western reference. If you grew up watching those things, or if you've ever been on one of those, those, those channels where, where the black and white comes on, or maybe they're really bad color, and you see these people on horses, and they've got six shooters and all that, it's 18-something, and you see a jet trail in the back, that's a Spaghetti Western. But there's always the bad guy, right? And you get the posse, and the bad guys are taken off. They just robbed a bank, or they just hurt somebody, and they go off, and they get in this canyon. That's their den. That's their hideaway. And they've got that little, they've got that shack in there, that, that crippled up cabin, and you got some grizzly guys with, with weird beards and bad teeth, and they're counting their money. They go to their hideout. They go to their den, because that's where they're safe. That's where they can, they can, they can kind of rest easy and know that, if someone's going to come get them, they're going to hear them coming. They're going to see them coming. They have lookouts. They have all that stuff. So when Jesus says that it's a den of robbers, he's saying, people, you've been doing wrong things, and here you feel safe. And he flips over. It's not just that he's angry at commerce taking place within the temple courts, although there's a piece of that. People come from far away, days, weeks, months, and they come, and, and, and it's awful. They, people have to, you bring in a dinar, you bring in whatever your local currency is, and you exchange it, and they take, a, they, take a, they take a percentage of it, and they give you temple coinage. Only temple coinage can buy the dove or the lamb or whatever you're going to sacrifice, and so they always take a cut, and these people, they, they, they make money off of it, and some of their families have become very rich, and so we look at that, and we see the injustice of that. Why would there be commerce in church? And Jesus came, and he said, no more. He's not saying no more commerce. He's saying no more sacrificial worship. No more killing things for your benefit. And we know that because of the next thing he says. When evening came, they went out. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw that the fig tree withered from its roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Jesus knows what's about to happen. Not everyone else gets it, but he knows this is Monday morning. By Thursday, he's going to have his last meal with his friends. 
he's going to be arrested. And by end of day, or by midday on Friday, three o'clock in the afternoon, he's going to be hanging up on a tree with spikes in his arms and his feet. He's going to become the last sacrificial lamb. He's going to become the last scapegoat. He's going to become the only high priest. He's going to be the prophet, the priest, the king. And he's saying, with cursing the tree and seeing it withered and clearing the temple, he's saying, enough, we're done, no more. You don't get to behave like you're safe in God when you're doing such cruel, awful, horrible, ridiculous, and audacious things out there. Picture Jesus flipping up. It'd be like someone walking in here, coming down this aisle when we're in church. It's supposed to be nice. I mean, we're, we got the mic. We got the stuff on the screen. We got this beautiful new pulpit. And some guy comes in here with, with a sledgehammer and goes, how dare you think that you have the audacity to preach on behalf of God and starts cranking on that. This is what churches get afraid of. This is why we have security. Or imagine the deacons when they come up and they take up the collection, they're walking out with the plates, they're going to take that offering, they're going to count it, and they're going to ask God to bless it, and someone comes in and knocks those trays out of their hands and goes, how dare you? That's how ridiculously audacious and crazy Jesus' response in the temple is. Do you really think he's going to be that mad if this stuff's going to continue? He knows that when he breathes his last breath, the curtain from the top to the bottom, the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies, God's presence on this earth. When he dies, God's presence on this earth, that curtain's going to tear from top to bottom. No more presence of God in a temple. Now, later, soon, presence of God in a temple. And then Jesus, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority... Are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. Don't you wish you could do this? Students, I'm going to say this because I think it's funny. Don't do this in school. Don't you wish when you were a kid in school, the teacher came up and said, how do you figure out the area of an isosceles triangle? Don't you wish you could have just gone, I'd like to answer that question with a question. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck? But Woodchuck, that's not my materialist, Brian Reagan. I think he's hilarious, but he's not going to give them what they want. I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you what, by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism was from heaven, or was it from men? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, and then in parentheses, they feared the people, for everyone saw John, thought that John really was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, ah. and Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Okay, there's a lot going on. Triumphal entry. Picture it for a second. Coming down a hill, and then back up, a mile or two. And all these people are throwing down cloaks and palm branches and they're crying out God save us this is our man everything's about to change and Jesus riding on a little donkey not quite the way that people would picture it he should have come in with a with a team of horses on a, on a, on a chariot but nevertheless he's on a donkey do you think for one moment that the donkey was thinking these people think I'm king it's a ridiculous question isn't it 
But don't we get that way sometimes? Don't we think that Christianity is about Christians and not about Christ? Don't we start thinking, wow, Jesus died for me and now I'm better than others. So I've got three questions for you today. I know it says one question because that's Jesus when he says, I got one question for you. But three questions for you, one for each section of this passage. One, do you think it's about the donkey? Do you think it's about you? That Jesus came to serve you? He did. He came to, to, to not to be served, but to serve. But what's his call on your life? Is it so that he makes your life easier? Or are you supposed to be one calling out laud and honor? Are you supposed to be one laying out palm branches and taking off your cloak? Are you supposed to be the one serving as he has served? And then in the temple, he's getting rid of the sacrificial worship because these people had been going out and cheating people. They Think about it in Mark, when we hear about all the different things about measure and judgment, you will be measured with the measure that you use. Remember, we talked about that and that people would cheat on it. So they felt like they could go out. Even God's people, especially those in power and authority, they would go out and they would, they would produce commerce. That's fine. You should work. You should provide for your family. And there's nothing wrong with business and commerce. Absolutely nothing. It's a gift from God. But when you cheat other people, and then you come back and you, you, you offer a sacrifice and you ask for forgiveness, that's confession without repentance. So they believed that they had religion, they had God in a box, and God is there to serve them, and they can go do whatever they want, and they come back in, and if they feel a little bad about it, they can offer a sacrifice, and they're all protected. They're all good. There's nothing anyone can do to them. And I don't think that any of you believe that here, but don't you sometimes behave that way? You go to a site on the internet, oh, God, I'll confess it later, and God will forgive me. Or you yell at your spouse or you treat your children like they're, there, like, you're, like they're slaves, or you treat them like they don't exist, like they're furniture in your house. Or you're, you, you're ethically, you're not great when you're doing your taxes or when you're in business, and you're, ah, it's just business is business, church is church. No, that's a table that Jesus will turn over. Don't use Jesus as cover, spiritual cover, yes. Does he want to forgive you for, of your sin? Absolutely. Does anyone wipe you clean so you're gone or your offense is like a cloud, your sin's like the morning mist? Yes, but return to me, he says, for I have redeemed you. He wants desperately to make sure that you don't use religion to serve you. Instead, you have a relationship with him so that he can transform you from the inside out. So here's the question. Are you religious or are you full of faith? Are you a good churchgoer, but not a real Christian? Because I, man, I'm in my garage a lot. Therefore, I'm a car. The third question, the last section, by whose authority? I'll answer your question with a question. What about John? Can you see the things of God and recognize them as things of God? If you can't, you're not going to see Jesus for who he is. So here's the question. Who is Jesus? Not who should he be, not, who do you, not, not, not what you've learned that he is, not what the preacher wants you to hear and understand. Who's Jesus? Not just in what you think here, but how you behave, what you believe here. 
Because if he is the God of the universe in flesh, if he did indeed come to offer himself as the sacrifice so that you don't have to die and be eternally separated from God, but instead have paradise, that you get what you do not deserve and you don't get what you do deserve, if that's really who he is, if that's really what he did, Shouldn't your life reflect it if you've accepted the gift that he's offered? For God so loved the world, he gave, he's a giver. Who is Jesus? Is it about the donkey? Is it about you? Are you religious or are you a Christian? Who's Jesus? Because Mark, in his gospel, he tells you from verse 1, to the last verse, who Jesus is. And we've just walked through almost the entire book of Mark. It should change how we see him. It should change how we see ourselves. And it should change our perception of how God sees us. So in preparation for next week, is it about you? Is it about church? Religion, who's Jesus really? See, on Thursday, we're going to be preparing to encounter the cross. We're going to have communion here, but when you walk out of here on Thursday, you will come in contact with the cross. It'll be the last thing you see. On Friday, we're going to lament over at Beaver Dam. We're going to lament the fact that we've gone so far, we've gone so awry, that in this world, that there's tragic things like Syria still happen. We're going to lament the fact that God... He loves us so much, but that he had to offer his own son so that we have a chance to be with him. And then next week, Sunday, we're going to talk about the resurrection, but I'm going to present a, just a clear, concise gospel message and give you and anyone that comes an opportunity to respond for yourself to the call that Jesus has on your life. So if you know you're right with God and you're coming next week, then spend the week praying for those who aren't. But if you're not, and if you're wondering, eh, I don't know who this Jesus really, I really, uh, people say he's a good guy, other people say he's more, I don't, I don't, come, come, but spend the week asking God, am I trying to make you about me? I don't really want to be religious. Is there something else? Who are you? Mark ends his gospel with basically saying, if you don't understand yet, go back and start again. So we're going to give you a chance to understand. We're going to give you a chance to respond. And we pray that you can answer the question, who is Jesus? He's my Lord and my Savior. I serve him and him alone. I am not my own, but belong body and soul and life and a death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, one question. Do you love us? Really? That seems to be the human question. In our marriages, in our covenant relationships, we seem to be always asking, are you going to be there for me? Really be there for me? Lord, we want desperately for people to accept us for who we are. So we need to know, do you love me? Lord, this week as we 
ask and pray and seek? Answer that question for us. We know the scripture says you do, but show us each individual person here and anyone that joins us this week, this coming week, show us. Answer the question, do you love me? It's in Jesus' name I pray, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. The clearing of the temple is Jesus' answer to the third commandment being broken. The third commandment is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. They were using his name for their cover, but they weren't sharing it with the world the way they were supposed to. And then we're told time and time and time again that God loves you. He will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name or God loves you. Jesus is saying, that's your choice. Choose God's love for you and love him in return. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on God's face. God, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen.